0: We are continuing studying the life of Jacob. There are a a few people, uh, three of them specifically, that are usually referred to as the patriarchs of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was Jacob's grandfather. Isaac was Jacob's father. And Jacob is the one that we've been studying for quite a while. Um, Jacob is... Well, If you've been following with us and studying this out, Jacob was kind of the sketchiest of all of them, <laughs> as far as a person. And um, we've, we've seen a bunch of things that have happened in Jacob's life that um, have put Jacob in a place where, well, let's just face it. Today, he's got a real problem. He's got a problem because he knows he is the one that God has called to be the recipient of the covenant promises, promises that God made to this family. And Jacob knows he's the one that is supposed to be carrying things going forward just like his father did and his grandfather before him. But Jacob has made some decisions in life that have kind of haunted him for a really long time. And now, as we saw last week, God told Jacob, it's time for you to go back to the land of Canaan, the place that you had to run away from 20 years ago. It's time for you to take your family, take your things, and get back to the land of Canaan. But he had a big problem. Because if you remember, when Jacob left Canaan, one of the primary reasons that he was leaving was because his older brother, older by only a few seconds because they were twins, His older brother wanted to kill him. And it wasn't one of these like family relationship brother spats where it's like, I want to kill that guy. No, no, no. He really wanted to kill him. And he had made plans to kill him. And the only reason that his brother, his older brother Esau, had not killed him before he left in the the past was that their father, Isaac, was still alive. And he was a very old man. And he, his health had started to fail. He had already gone blind. And Esau said, if it wasn't for the fact that dad's still alive, I would have already killed you. And so Jacob knows my time is short if I stay around here. And so he ended up talking with his mom and they manipulated their dad once again where the dad sent him out essentially. He said, go a thousand miles away. It's a very long walk. <laughs> a thousand miles away. Go find a wife. Go get yourself established. Get out of here. So he was essentially exiled from the family. And he's been gone now for all this time. But here's the thing. Even though Isaac, his father, was old and blind at the time, 20 years earlier, um, he was still hanging on. Isaac has is still not dead. 20 years later, um, even when Jacob left, Isaac thought, oh, I'm at the very end, so I need to pass out my blessing and all these things. He thought his life was almost over, but it wasn't. So Jacob's been gone for 20 years, and now God has told him, you've got to go back. But he realizes, I still have an issue because I have not reconciled anything with my brother. He still wants me dead. So when I show back up, back home, I don't know what I'm going to get myself into. It's not like he could, you know, kind of, uh, you know, spy on the guy's social media, trying to find out what's going on. It wasn't like you could even send letters back and forth to kind of find out. Hey, is Jacob? You know, this is Jacob. Is Esau kind of calm down at me? He has no idea. Nothing. No contact. Nothing for twenty years. But he knows he's got to go back. And as you can imagine, Jacob is scared. He's scared. And our story this morning begins with some needed encouragement from God. Because God's the one who's told him it's time to go back. So he's trying to follow God. He's trying to believe God for this. But he's still scared and he needs encouragement. And that's what we see happens here in Genesis chapter 32 starting in verse 1. Here's what it says if you're reading along with me. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said... This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Now, we'll go on there in a minute. So he, he's come to this spot. He's on his way. And he makes sets up camp. He's got all of his family. He's got all of his herds, all of his flocks. If you remember the story, he had actually acquired a good amount of wealth while he had been out here in this land of, of, of Haran. And now he's got all this stuff. He's made this camp. But he gets here to this camp. And he has this supernatural interaction with angels. So he calls it Mahanaim, which means two camps. He's like, there's not just my camp here. There's a camp of angels. This is amazing. This is encouraging. Because they would have comforted him. Because it would have reminded him, oh yeah, God is the one who told me I needed to do this. And here, I've, I've, I'm interacting with these angels. And this was a reminder of that, of that help. Now... Here's the thing that I want us to first see as we we set this up and look at it a little bit. When we think about some of the hard places, and today that's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about hard places. Hard places that we go through as human beings in life. And when we think about some of the hard places, sometimes incredibly difficult places that God takes people through, when we think about those things, um, it's important to remember that God's grace accompanies those hard places. When you think about some of the things that God has called people to do, sometimes overwhelming things, and you hear about somebody's story, their testimony, you're like, I could never do that. I don't have that kind of courage. I don't have that kind of just drive. I don't have the ability to do the things that this person has done that God has called them to do. And when you think about that, you have to remember God's grace accompanies them. These people aren't superhuman, All right, and that's something that I think that you've seen as we've studied the patriarchs of Israel. When we talk about Father Abraham, the great man of faith, no, he's just a human being like the rest of us. They're not superhuman. But when God's grace empowers them, something else happens. When we think of, you know, some of the other Bible stories that you may know, Daniel being thrown into a lion's den, or Esther standing up to a king with a real risk of death, Jesus looking at a cross and going to the cross. We have to know that when God calls us to do something, even something dangerous, something scary, he will be the one that empowers us and enables us to do it. That's important to know. And that's what's happening here with Jacob. Jacob knows I'm supposed to do this. That's the last place in the world I want to go because there's, there's a person that's out to kill me. I don't want to go here, but when God calls you to do something, he's going to empower you, and that's what these angels are reminding uh, Jacob of. He's like, all right, I've got some help here that I don't even understand, and in this case, God sends angels to meet and encourage Jacob. I wish that God did this all the time for us. (laughs) Wouldn't you like that? Oh, i got a hard job interview to walk into. Well, no problem. An angel appears to me in, in the car next to me, you know. Oh, don't worry. We're here with you. We're walking you through this path. Or you've got to have this hard conversation. You've got to do this thing. You've got to whatever it is. And all of a sudden, the angels pop up, and they're like, oh, yeah, no no worries. God's paying attention. He's here with you. That sounds good. I don't know why it doesn't work that way, but it doesn't. Now, I do want to say this, just because we're here talking about angels and thinking about angels, um, The Bible doesn't really teach us a whole lot about angels. We know some of their names. We know some of what they do, but really not much else, okay? Um, They appear in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Scripture. They often take a human form, but angels are not humans, and they never were. Some people sometimes think, oh, when I die, I'm going to become an angel. No, you won't. All right, you don 't turn into an angel um, that 's not, not the way it works. They are spiritual beings created to serve god that 's what an angel is. An angel is a spiritual being created to serve God. Now, I do know that some theologians have have built these extensive theories about angels, and some might be very accurate, but much of what they claim is speculated outside of the Bible, all right. Angels, um, because all of us have these imaginations of what angels would be like. In fact, when you read these things, you're like, ooh, what did those angels look like? Well, let me tell you this. Angels are not fat babies sitting on clouds with harps and halos and wings, all right? They're not. They're not. I know that a lot of people, they have this vision of whatever an angel is supposed to look like, but that's not very biblically accurate, Instead, what we see in the Bible when it comes to angels, these supernatural spiritual beings, um, we see that they are incredibly powerful beings that serve as messengers of God, as well as those that are sent to do the will of God. There are sometimes, as we already have seen in Genesis, when we studied the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where angels are sent to carry out the wrath of God, and it's he- it's it's heavy, it's scary. But then other times, angels are sent to declare the good news of God, like like the angels that came to declare that Jesus was born to the shepherds in the field, the part of the Christmas story, right? So angels have different things that they're sent to do. Um, And I believe that, that God sent these angels to meet Jacob because what he needed at the moment was a message of courage. He was so scared of what he was about to do that he needed encouragement to keep going forward. Now, for 20 years, Jacob had had the time to to think about all that had happened between he and his brother. You know how that works? Whenever you have like an argument with somebody and it's a serious argument and it really hurts you or hurts them, And, and you kind of think about it a lot and you're processing it and you're going back over it in your head. Does anybody else do that? yeah. And we're thinking about, well, I could have said this, or I should have said that, or I can't believe they did that, you know, or how did all these things pile up to that? Why did we even have this mess up, blow up? That's the way it is a lot of times in families, especially. There are families that get shattered over things, sometimes the smallest, stupidest little thing that happened decades ago, but people can't let it go, and they can't get over it, and they can't work through it. And so I'm sure Jacob was thinking about all those things. I'm sure he could still picture the day that Esau came in from hunting and he was, he was worn out and tired and he was super hungry, remember? And, and Esau came in, he's like, I'm starving. If I don't eat something right now, I'm gonna die. And Jacob, who'd been at home all day cooking this incredible stew, is like, oh, I got some stew here. And what did Jacob do? He took advantage of his impulsive brother and said, all right, well, I'll give you this food since you're gonna die, but I want your birthright. I want to be known as the oldest brother. And because of that, that would come with the inheritance from the family. And so he remembers that time. But that wasn't even the thing that sent Esau into such a rage that he wanted to kill him. The thing that actually happened was, was years later about the blessing You remember that? That's when Jacob teamed up with his mom to trick his old blind father who couldn't see the difference between his two sons anymore. He tricked him into blessing him as the firstborn and essentially robbing Esau of everything else he had left. And that was the time where Esau was like, I'm going to kill you. You you think you've got this birthright. Well, it's not going to do you any good when you're dead. (laughs) And I'm going to kill you. That's what it was. And so Jacob has thought about these things and thinking about it. And he's still carrying this family wound so much that he was terrified knowing that he had to go face his brother. And the camp of angels was a reminder that God was with him to help calm the nerves and encourage him to keep moving forward. Now, I will say this. One more thing about angels before we move on. Visits for angels were rare in the Bible, okay? It's rare, that we see this. So it shouldn't surprise us that interactions with angels would be rare today. Um, If you're the person that says, I see angels all the time, you're probably seeing things, (laughs) all right? Maybe not. Maybe God's got some special call in your life, but most likely you're probably seeing things. Because remember, the primary job of an angel was to bring God's word to people. And now we've been given God's word in written form, And not only that, we've been given God's word uh, in the flesh, in incarnate Jesus. And if you need encouragement, like Jacob did at this point, and needed a visit from an angel, you've got a great place to find it. It's right here in this book. Open it up, read it, know what God has to say to you. There's encouraging things in God's word for you when you need it. So with this boost of confidence, Jacob is now ready to move toward Esau. And uh, let's pick up there again in verse 3. It says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. Notice the words here. He's like, call him a lord and tell him I'm a servant. He says, "I I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, uh, flocks, male servants and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Mm, This doesn't sound good. But then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant." For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with, with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau my brother meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. And he likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. So even for those of us who don't know a whole lot about ranching and herds and flocks, this is an obviously huge gift that Jacob is trying to put together to send ahead to his brother Esau. All right. Um, There's over 500 animals, is what's being described here. That's a lot of animals. He's sending on these animals, hoping that Esau will see this gift and just be wowed by the thing. It's like, whoa! I'm getting all this from my brother. This is great. This is awesome. And his his hope is Esau is going to look at this gift. And get his eyes off of revenge. <laughs> because that's what Jacob's really worried about. He's really worried that Esau is just in a fury right now. And so he's gathered this group of 400 men. Because he is coming to take Jacob's head. And so his thought is, well, if I can send him ahead this gift and these presents. And I'm going to spread it out. So it kind of takes a while to get there. And it's going to keep happening. And he's gonna, I'm going to tell him, I'm still coming. Just wait for me here. That Esau, after he's counting up the, the, the cost involved here, what he's getting paid, he might start saying, eh, I guess that brother's not so bad. It still worked out okay for me. Something. That's what he's hoping for. That's what's happening. And, and what we, we also see here is that Esau, over these 20 years, his wealth and influence have greatly expanded, obviously, because he's got a tribe of 400 men, a small army that he can gather in a moment's notice. And say, hey, you're all coming with me. All right? So, so Esau's already grown to, to some degree. But this event, this, this message that comes back and says, Esau's coming. And he's got 400 men. It sends Jacob into a panic. And the courage that the angels had just given him drains away. But look what Jacob does. And this is unique because this is new for Jacob. The thing that Jacob does, now that he's hopeless and he's sent the present ahead, but he doesn't, still doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's being received. Here's what he does. He prays. And like I said, this is new for Jacob. Jacob is not the kind of like Bible hero that's just so spiritual and so in tune with God all the time. But he prays. And uh, the best part of his prayer, I think, is in verse 12 where he starts saying, And you said, God... You are the one who said that you would make my, my, uh, my offspring like the sands of the seashore. Now, he's also thinking in the back of his head, but I guess you didn't say that I would have a long life. So I've already got 11 kids, like, or 11 sons. Maybe you're going to do that, and I'm going to die today. I don't know, but you did say that you're going to bless me, and you're going to take care of me, and you're the one who's leading me here. And, and I will say to you today, an honest prayer is the best prayer to God. All right? You just let it out, guys. No matter what's happening, no matter where your heart is, where your mind is, an honest prayer is always the best prayer. Tell God what's in your heart. All right, now here's what happens. So the present has gone ahead. He is staying in the camp that night. They're still a ways away. Esau and his servants are still quite a ways away, a, a day out or so. So he sends the present ahead, and it says that he himself stayed that night in the camp. And in verse 22... It says, and the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That's a river. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And then there's this very interesting verse that we're going to look at. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, the the Jabbok River is actually called the Zarka River in modern-day Jordan. Um, So you could still go and visit this very same river in this very same place that this happened. Um, And everything that Jacob had acquired in his, his whole life, everything he had, all of his life's possessions and all of the people that mattered to him, his wives, his kids, they were all sent to the other side of the river. And for some reason, Jacob waited alone back on the other side of the river. Why? Why would he do this? Well, if you've ever experienced true, like deep worry or fear, anxiety, you ever had a panic attack kind of a feeling, this makes very good sense to you. (laughs) Because what's going on here is Jacob was trying to collect himself to get it together for what he had in front of him. He had to face his worst fears. And let's face it, he knew he wasn't going to be sleeping that night anyway. (laughs) He's like, there's no way I'm falling asleep now. With the kind of stuff that's going on in me, the worry that I have, the fear that I have, I'm not going to be able to fall asleep. So I'm going to try to get someplace that feels safe and try to prepare. But as he does that, he's over by himself alone in the wilderness, all ready to, to, to get his head together in the middle of that headspace, An unknown person appears and starts wrestling him, fighting him, hand-to-hand combat. I have no idea what Jacob's thoughts were at first. You know, he sent everybody else there. He's like, what's happened? How could Esau have sent somebody over here? This isn't Esau, but it's somebody else. He's attacking me what does he want? I don't have anything. Do I know this guy? Is this an assassin sent ahead? Like, I don't know what's going on. And he's just fighting for his life, and he's just wrestling and going for it. And here's the thing. This wrestling doesn't go on for just a matter of minutes. It tells us here, they're wrestling all night long. Okay, that's, uh, in seventh and eighth grade, believe it or not, I wrestled, and I was terrible. And, and I weighed 96 pounds, I think is what it was. And and you wrestle for these little three-minute periods, right? And at the end of three minutes, you're like, <gasps> out of it. Like you've just exhausted everything that you have because I wasn't in very good shape either. But these guys are wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And there's no ref to blow a little whistle and give you a break. They're wrestling. They're fighting. They're rolling around on the, in the dirt. It goes on all night long. And that alone would have made Jacob think, okay, something is happening here. Look, let's read verse 25. Here's what it says It says, And when the man who's wrestling Jacob saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Hmm, interesting. And he said to him, verse 27, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew on the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. All right. It didn't take long, wrestling and exhaustion, for Jacob to realize something else is going on here. In fact, this isn't just a man that I'm wrestling. This is a spiritual being. Now, these two weird names here, Peniel and Penuel, both mean the same thing, face of God. El is God, the the generic term for God. So Peniel means face of God. And, And this was an actual flesh and blood experience that Jacob had. But the wrestling match only served to teach Jacob what God was doing in his life. Sometimes we need a very real, tangible experience of something to really let it sink in. That's what's happening here. God has sent this being to come fight with Jacob and wrestle with Jacob in such a hard place that he's already at to allow him to continue to fight and wrestle, fight and wrestle, struggle, strain, sort all this out, really to teach Jacob a lesson. In fact, you just see at first, Jacob's thinking, I might win this thing. You know, I can do this. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to do it to the end. And then as, it's, as daybreak is coming, you see the, the guy who's been wrestling with him has just been toying with him. Right? And it says he just touches his hip, and his hip's out of socket. <laughs> and it's a bad enough injury, it's the rest of his life, he's gonna walk with a limp. All right? But what God is doing here is he's teaching Jacob what his life has been all about. Now, you might ask yourself, well, who was this mystery man that Jacob wrestled with? And I don't think that the text is clear. Jacob Is the one who claims in verse 30 that he saw God face to face. Right? That's what Jacob says. That's why he names the place the way he did. He believed he was wrestling God himself. But I will point out: nowhere does this man claim that he is God. Nowhere. Nor does Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, nor does he call him God. Uh, Moses, usually when, when somebody has an, a, a, an experience with God and God appears, Moses writes, and God appeared to so-and-so. You know, That's not what we see here. Um, it is clear that it's a supernatural being that God sent and that he has God's authority to change Jacob's name. Uh, Hosea the prophet says in his book, the book of Hosea, that it was an angel of God, Hosea 12.4, if you want to know that. Some theologians say this was what they call a Christophany, meaning an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. Who it is, though, is not the point. So don't get stuck on that little detail of, well, who is this person? It really doesn't matter. God was teaching Jacob, and that's the part that we need to understand. The wrestling symbolized the struggle that Jacob had gone through his entire life. Think about it. Before birth, we saw, um, we saw that he was wrestling with his brother in his mother's womb. Um, we, we saw that earlier in the story. Not only that, when he was being born, the reason he got his name Jacob is because as his twin brother was coming out of the womb, Jacob was holding on to his heel. And, and from that point on, he struggled with his brother all the way through growing up. He fought for his way at home. He wrestled with his father-in-law, Laban, for all those years. He argued with his wives, and now here he is, fighting for his life again, trying to prepare himself for another battle with his brother. And here, at this point in his life, Jacob now understands, I'm wrestling with God, and I need to beg him for a blessing. That's what Jacob's asking for here. Do you find that a little strange? Like you've been wrestling, it's not, hey, will you just get off of me? <laughs> Leave me alone. It's not even a, a something practical. Will you make me stronger? Will you just go on and strike Esau dead over in his camp? Will you do something that makes me, gets me away from here? Get me out of my situation? No, none of those things. The thing he asks for, the thing that he knows he needs more than anything else, is that he needs a blessing. Now, if you'll remember... Previously, he thought he would find fulfillment and wholeness if he could get his father's blessing. That's why he went so far as to rip off his own brother to get the blessing. He thought that would make him whole, and he stole it, but it still left him empty. All of his own efforts came up short. All of them. So now he's begging God. So here's a question you've got to ask yourself this morning. Do you believe that there is something in this world that could fulfill you? Is there something in this world that you don't have? Maybe you're close to getting it or maybe you're a long way away from it. Is there something in this world that could fulfill you? Some dream job? Some romantic relationship? Some accolade or acknowledgement? Maybe it's something tangible. Maybe it's if I could just get a house or this particular car or have some dollar amount in the bank or, I don't know, a hard-to-get pair of sneakers. I don't don't know what what it is that you think would make you whole. None of these things, none of these things will make you complete. None of them. Only God can do that. Only God can fulfill you. And the blessing that he's begging for, comes in a way that he did not expect. The wrestler asks Jacob his name. Now, like I told you, Jacob's name, actually, uh, the the Hebrew for for Jacob is heel grabber, back to when he was born, and he was grabbing onto his brother's heel. But it also means cheater, uh, some person who's a deceiver, a sketchy human being. That's what Jacob means. I mean, how would you like to be called liar? I said, what's your name? Oh, my name's Liar. Oh, nice, you know. That's Jacob. (laughs) That's the life he had. Everybody's like, oh, did you say Jacob? Yeah, Jacob, oh, okay, all right. That's his name. And so this wrestler, this this God being shows up and says, what is your name? Cheater. (laughs) Okay, and that is where the blessing happens. The blessing that Jacob receives is a name change. No longer would he be known as a cheater, Now he would be known as Israel, which means one who strives with God. One who strives with God. God is essentially telling Jacob, you've done it. You found me. You're finally asking me for a blessing. You're looking to me for your fulfillment and you've fought, and you've struggled, and you've wrestled, and you've survived. You're no longer going to be the one who fights against God, but now you're gonna be one who walks with God. He'd made it through the hard places and was given hope for the future. Notice also that when Jacob receives the blessing, he gets the blessing of, all right, you've got the new name, but he's also left with a limp, It's a permanent limp. And it's very common that God has to wound us before we will walk with him. I don't know why we are that way. But we are that way. We have to be wounded often before we will walk with him. It's sad but true. We tend to learn lessons the hard way. Uh, how many of you guys here in the room today um, have physical scars on your bodies and a story to go along with it? Several? Probably? I mean, I, I personally do. I've got a, you may not be able to see it with this microphone here, but I have a scar on the side of my face up here and down here from a lesson that I learned when I was three years old. Okay? A big dog. <laughs> and the lesson I learned was when a very, very, very large dog Bull Mastiff is eating, do not reach your hand into the bowl where that dog is trying to eat. <laughs> and I got, I got bit on the face, and I've had a scar my whole life to teach me that lesson, right? And I know you guys have better stories than that one, but it's, it's true. Often, what we need is we need to be wounded to teach ourselves a hard lesson. And, and it's the same way um, with, with our relationship with God. Being wounded can be a gift from God. Now, I'll tell you, none of those painful places feel like a gift when they're happening. And many, many times we're not thankful to God for the hard things that he's taken us through in our lives. Nobody wants to be hurt. Nobody wants to be wounded. But they can be a gift from God. Here's one of the biggest reasons why. Pride, 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 is one of the most basic human sins. We all struggle with it. And without our pride being wounded at some point in our lives, we will falsely believe that we can be our own savior. We believe that we can save ourselves. Jacob had spent his entire life trying to connive and manipulate and control his world on his own. And it isn't until this moment in time that we see him finally throw himself at God's feet and ask for deliverance. The limp that Jacob would carry would be a daily reminder of his need for God. The hard places in life are going to come for every one of us, every one of us. We all have to wrestle in this life. No one has everything handed to them. Even those people that you think have been, <laughs> that they got it all, even those people, they have to wrestle in this life too. And here's an important thing if you don't under- hear anything else today, please listen to this. Every person that has come to know God has humbled themselves or been humbled so that they can find a Savior. Every person who knows God and walks with God, every person. Because it's in that place of brokenness that the relationship finally gets put back in order. You have to understand, all of us were born broken. We're born with this this misconception that we can be God. This goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden, wanting to be like God. That was the whole temptation that the, the serpent brought to Eve, was if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And they're like, "Yeah, that's what I want. I want to be like God." But when we're broken, it allows God to reorient things the way they're supposed to be. You are not God. He is. You are not almighty. He is. You are not glorious. He is. And he loves you in your brokenness, and your insignificance, and your weakness. So now that Jacob is exhausted beyond belief, emotionally, mentally, and physically, and he's permanently injured from this encounter, now it's time to actually face Esau. All right, here we go. Chapter 33, here's what it says. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This is a sign of humility. I mean, You get the idea, right? Even if it's not our cultural thing to do, if somebody at work starts walking up to you, bowing down before you on the ground, you're gonna know, okay, what have you done? Or what is wrong with you? (laughs) One of those things. That's what he's doing here. It's a sign of humility, all right? And it says here in verse four, it says, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and and saw the women and the children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said... I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you accepted me. He still hasn't given up flattery yet, okay, this is who Jacob is. (laughs) Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they're driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock and that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. Thankfully, Esau had changed over these 20 years. Not only had his anger toward Jacob cooled, it seems like he genuinely missed him. I'm sure it wasn't that way for the first couple years. You know, that punk brother of mine. But eventually he's like, eh, whatever, I'm going to move on. And he did. And good for him. I'm glad he did. Esau gets a really, had a really rough go of it, as we've seen through scripture. And we don't find out exactly why he came with the troop of men, the 400. I don't know. I don't know that part. You can make some guesses on that. But whatever the case, by the time they actually meet, Esau seems to be very gracious In fact, he even seems to be content with what he has, which is a great place for anybody to be. That's what he says in verse 9. I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And he even invites Jacob to journey forward with him, back to their homeland. Now, I will point this out. Although Jacob makes it sound like he's going to join Esau uh, in the land of Seir, to the south, Jacob actually turns westward, (laughs) Um, back toward the land of Canaan and goes through this place called Succoth. I'm going to show you real quick here. I've got a map. Um, For those of you who care, I think you can see this. Hopefully you can. So this is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Israel through here. All right, this is the Dead Sea today. This is the Jordan River. If you kept on following it up here, it's the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent a lot of his time. This little blue line right here is actually the Jabbok River that we've been talking about. This is where he had the wrestling match. And so Esau, he lives down here. This is the land of Seir on the east side of the Jordan River in modern-day Jordan today. And so they meet right in here, and, and Esau's like, okay, yeah, let's go on down here. And Jacob's like, yeah, that sounds great. You go ahead. And then he goes this way. <laughs> and then eventually he goes over this way to Shechem, <laughs> all right? And that's, this is the land of Canaan on this side of the river. And this is ultimately where he's going to spend most of his time, all right? So um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for the trickster to tell the whole truth. Now, here's the thing. I don't know the hard places that you might find yourself in today. And I don't know the hard places that are in front of you as a person. And hard places are going to come, all right? It doesn't matter how old or young you are. There's going to be hard things that happen in your life. That's the way it is. I don't know the hard places that are in front of us as a church, as a community, um, or as a city, or a nation, or as a world. We don't know. Um, but I believe that we can learn um, some things from Jacob's wrestling through those hard places. And real quick, quick quickly, as we finish here today, I'm going to give you four little statements. The first one is, I want you to know there are two camps. There are two camps. We may not see it or recognize it, but God is with us. All right, Psalm 34, seven says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. All right, so no matter what the hard place is that you go through, there are two camps and God's around, God's paying attention. Secondly, trusting God is the best path through. That's also what Jacob finally realized he had to do. He had to trust God. We want to lean on our own ways, but it's not best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Somebody quoted this at our life group on Friday night. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make make straight your paths. Trusting God is the best path through. All right? Third, no matter what hard place, hard time, hard thing that you're going through, this too shall pass all right, we will get through the hard places. You will make it through the hard places or you will die and go to heaven. All right. So if you're a believer, it's (laughs) win-win. Either you make it through or you don't, but if you don't, you go to heaven. All right. I I know it's a little blunt, but it's true. This too will pass. Psalm 30, verse 4 and 5 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but a, for a moment, and, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. There's another side to this. Don't give up. Don't think I'm never going to make it out of this. I, my life's never going to be okay. Yes, It will. And yes, it can. God will do it. And finally, the very last thing transformation is the blessing, even if we end up with a limp. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is the blessing that comes from walking with God. The blessing of the gospel is not only that you go to heaven. That is true and that is wonderful. That's a promise that we hope in, that there is an afterlife, an eternity where every tear is wiped away and everything that's awful will be made Right? That's a promise that God's given us. I know it seems mind-blowing, but it's true. That is it. But the rest of the gospel message is not just that you're a sinner who needs a savior and a way to get to heaven, but also that God wants to change you in this life. He wants to transform your life now and for the years that you live in this life as well. That's the blessing And that's what was happening in this wrestling match when God says, I'm going to change you. You're no longer going to be Jacob. Now you're going to be Israel. And that transformation is a blessing that is open and and, and we are all invited um, to receive. And to be experiencing life in a different way than we had it without him. All right? It's a lot. You have a lot to think about this week. All right? Let's pray together.